Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Just Add Beer, the podcast. My name is Nick White, and this is the story of when beer meets food and goes on a mini break to Cornwall. Following our passion for beer and food matching here at Sharps Brewery, my esteemed colleagues and great friends Rachel Williams and Ed Hughes wrote and edited a beer and food cookbook with recipes from chef friends we've met on our journey so far. Not content with this, and having regularly puppeteered our beer sommelier Ed into hosting secret bars and silent bistros, I've set him on a new challenge to let the real stars of the Just Add Beer cookbook tell their stories, share their recipe tips, and help listeners know how to just add beer. Armed with a phone and makeshift recording studio in his attic, Ed captured a feast for your ears. So, humour me, if you will. I'm going to take you on a five-course menu beer flight of conversation, and I'll be pouring you a virtual beer match for each course. So let's get started. Here's episode eight, and my dear friend Hank. Hank is a great cook, wonderful chef, and a wonderful butcher. Um, I'm probably repeating everything I say on the other intro when I actually speak to him, but he is such a lovely man. He's very, very skilled, and he's introduced us to loads of people in the industry. Um, we've done loads of secret bar sessions with him, and where we met genuinely was in the secret bar at Paso Christmas Festival, um, and the stories that he's got to tell uh, are great. And yeah, hopefully you'll get to meet him at some point at Travisca's. Um, and we talk about our inaugural beer versus wine night. And it was always a theory of mine that we could do something like this and, and have a bit of a laugh at the same time. And this was absolutely perfect. That night was genuinely great. Um, beer versus wine, it wasn't really a competition. Um, it was just lots of fun. And with taste and flavour right at the heart of it. So I hope you enjoy this one, folks. It's aperitif time. We've chosen Offshore Pilsner as your aperitif, so I'm just pouring it now. Lighting a candle, setting the ambience. Offshore is an update on the first Czech Pilsners which originate from the Czech town of Pilsen, the de facto birthplace of lager. Taking its name from the offshore winds that help create the best surf conditions, we've added New World Hop to our version and brewed a light, clean, citrusy beer to cleanse your palate and wake up your taste buds. It's a perfect match for the light and bubbly introductions and quick-fire questions in this course. Enjoy. Hank de Villiers Ferreira, dear friend that has supported me and Sharps for years, one of the most generous people in the industry with true hospitality in his blood. Wicked cook, chef, butcher, and the best steaks around. How was that for an intro, mate? Oh no, that's amazing! Thank you very much. I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really think those things. The, the most important bit to me is the fact that you call me a big, a, a good friend. You know, that makes me really happy. Absolutely, dude. We, we, yeah. This has been years, but we'll sort of get through the years um, during the interview. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, mate. Um, you are episode eight of the Just Add Beer podcasts. Um, oh, so previously we've had, we've had all sorts of people, um, but Stefan was the last and Stefan's got a question for you at the end of this as well. So the idea yeah, of this nice. Hank, 
is we've set this up into five, like a five course tasting menu of questions and rounds. So yeah. the first course is the aperitif. So nice sort of quick fire questions um, just to get you into the mood. Um, sort yeah. of light drinking, cleanse the palate of, of an interview. So what was the last? Yeah, I get that. What was the last thing you ate? And when did you eat it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a very easy one to answer, right? Eh? Bacon sandwich five minutes ago. Excellent. Good. Good. Nothing better than a, than a good old bacon sandwich. Um, if you were to choose a band or artist um, yeah. of all time, they can be alive or dead, um, to cook for, who would it be and what would you cook for and meet? Uh, this is sort of mu- music artist, or yes. does it have to be music, or does it have to be sort of oh, a? You... Uh... Yeah, you can do art, art if you like painting, drawing art. That's it. It was it was an ambiguous question, so yeah, that's entirely up to you. Well, Lowry would be my artist to cook for. Excellent, because I mean I don't really understand much of the cultural background that he has, and I've got no real knowledge about him other than the fact that he's. His work is so distinctive, I mean, uh, and 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 I think he would have quite, or if he was still around, he would have very distinct tastes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and and you know, and and the way that the way that I cook things, obviously, I, I'd like to cook him a bit of meat, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's one of those where I, I I don't think, given the fact that he's sort of presumably from sort of the north or industrial England, mm-hmm. you know, he would he would enjoy. A, a really good pie and a bit of pastry more. And I, I mean, that's the sort of thing I've put in front of him. Nice. You're the first person of of the chefs to choose a natural artist. You're so highbrow, Hank. So high. I don't know what highbrow means. Eh? I'm a potato <laughs> peeler. <laughs> Massively cultural. But yeah, that's a good one. First person. I'm sure you win a prize for that, for, for choosing an artist, artist. Right, the quick fire round. You have to choose one yeah. or the other. A little bit of sort of desert island stuff. Salt, yeah. salt or pepper? Salt. Tent or hotel? Uh, tent. Casablanca or Love Actually? Casablanca. Wine or beer? Beer. You don't have to say that just because it's me on the phone, Hank. It's got nothing to do with you, Ed. Good. It's absolutely beer. Brilliant. <laughs> Ale or lager? <laughs> Uh, lager. Big lunch or a late feast? Late feast, definitely. Beach holiday or a snow holiday? Uh, beach holiday. Meat or fish? Meat. Meat. Oh, yes. You didn't even have to think about that one, mate. That's good. I don't have to think about any of these answers. (laughs) Good. And yeah, back to that sort of caveat, just because it's me, these aren't loaded questions, just absolute honesty, Hank, which would be fantastic. I know you're always honest anyway, but I just thought I'd really... Well, I think you'll get the straight bat answers, eh? Good. I ever had a straight bat when I played sport, but you know, straight bat in life is important, I think. Yes, I. Yes, indeed. Starters are up. I've poured you a doom bar to match with the starter course, and it's served in a lovely red wine glass so you can appreciate the light caramel aroma. Doom bar is a traditional amber ale in style, but from my experience of events, it's a particularly refreshing and accessible one for less regular beer drinkers, and it tends to change preconceptions of amber and brown beer too. The beer has a great balance of light hot bitterness and sweeter malty notes making it both Moorish and the great food match 
for light, well-balanced starters and beyond. It's also a great match for the starter course of questions, as it's the beer that really got us started beyond Cornwall. And this course is all about how our guests got started in their love of food, careers and beer matching with us. Plus, we'll be finding out their favourite ever starter and where they ate it. Bon appétit! Right, so this is the time round. I have my stopwatch ready. Um, could yeah. you sum up your career in 60 seconds, please? Starting from now. Oh, God. When I was a kid, back, I came from a, a small town in the Eastern Cape called King Williamstown. And uh, I started in the restaurant industry there, waiting table. I think I was about 15 or 16 years old. From there on, I jumped into a, a sort of a between university and school job at the Sun International Resorts. And then ended up uh, always, always, one way, one way or another, being in hospitality. The chefing, or what you people would call chefing things, came a little bit later, you know. Having said that, uh, when, I, you know, when I was a kid, seeing things that my mom used to cook, uh, it took me years and years to, rem- to, to figure out that when she was making potato salad, she made her own mayonnaise, but it wasn't a mayonnaise, it was a sabayon. So, and then sort of ended up in Cornwall in 1997, and, uh, you know, found a few chips to peel and a few bits of meat to cut up and cook. And it's sort of been sort of just flowing along from there. Awesome. 55 seconds, mate. That was um, that was very concise. Um, and it's but quite it hard, very... hard to do in 60 seconds, isn't it? Well, do you know what? It's for me. It's it's more much more about. It's not about where we're cooking. I mean, it, everywhere where we're cooking at the minute is a challenge. It's about what brought you to the stage where you're at. Yeah, yeah. It's like the you origin know. story. Yes, yes, exactly. Awesome. We'll sort of go back to your where your love of food began um, in in a couple of questions. So, yeah. as 1997, you came to Cornwall. So. What what does Hank do now? Could do you want to sum up your businesses as it stands so, now? So right now, um, we so at the minute we're in the middle of the COVID lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so we're very 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 lucky in the sense that we've got a site on the outskirts of Patso. It's called it's a cafe called Traviska's next to Traviska Garden Centre or part of the Garden Centre offering. And what we do have is lots of space and lots of parking. So at the minute, we're doing a, a little food shop and a takeaway service uh, where people come in, uh, they ring us up, they book up ahead or they, you know, they select what they would like. We suggest a time slot for them to come and pick it up and they come and do so in their time slot in a safe and orderly fashion. So we've been very lucky that we've been able to keep trading uh, uh, to some extent during the lockdown. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's what's happening with the cafe at the minute. And hopefully, sort of next week, uh, after the fire, the disastrous fire that we had at the halfway house outside of Weybridge, we shall be going in next week to start refitting it during the lockdown in order to be able to ready to trade or do something when uh, when the restrictions are lifted. That is amazing. That makes me very happy to hear that, Hank. Um, oh, well, Ed, it is. It is. It's it's the path that we have to walk. Eh? Yeah, man. A lot of hard work. I think I think you mentioned lucky several times and yes I, I feel you know we're very lucky down here in Cornwall but you know sometimes you make your own luck you know you've you've, you've well, transformed Traviscas into to keep on trading 
Um, and when, when we're not in this situation, because we're not going to dwell on this situation, um, do you want to chat yeah. about Travisca's what it is? Because it's quite a magical place. It's, it's quite hard to explain what Travisca's is. Do you want to chat about that? Well, do you know, the, the, the joy about Travisca's is it's an organic space. So the garden centre has been an organic, what is here now, wasn't here 20 years ago, and it sort of evolved. And, you know, the cafe sort of popped up and we had an idea of what we wanted to do. And it's and it and it's kind of it's done its own thing. And it's not being led by me. Or what, it, it's been led by customers and mm. guests and friends and what they would like, because I think what we do or what in terms of hospitality is not about what we want to do. It's about what we think will make the customers really happy. And that's the only thing that that, that you know, that I care about is whether my friends and customers and all these sort of people that use us, if they enjoyed themselves. And if they've enjoyed themselves, then we've done our job. Um, if, if not, then we can try and learn from the mistakes and try and fix it. Yeah, I, I think you, you've, you've summed it up very well. A little bit too humble, but very well. Uh, like it, and the reason I say it's magic, because thinking about it, you know, in the various situations, Travisca's is somewhere you can go for a drink, or you can have a cream tea, you can go for a Sunday carvery, you can have, you know, a chowder, a wicked steak. They, like it, the versatility of that space, and it's a big space. Um, and obviously, I'll bring up what, what we did there not that yeah, long ago. Yeah. That our inaugural beer versus wine dinner was some of the most fun that I've had. A, a, in fact, a drinks pairing dinner, I don't think I've had more fun than that. Um, in any of the events that I've done, that was that was just wonderful, Hank, wouldn't it? I think Good fun. I think I completely agree with you. You know, chatting to Katie, who did kindly did the wines with you. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, and she was up against it, Ed, because we we're all biased towards you in the nicest possible way. <laughs> you know, it's that it's that loving thing that happens when brothers sort of see each other and respect what what we do. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 this is uh, Katie, being a girl that's been in the wine industry for a long time, she echoed it. She said she had never ever ever enjoyed a a, a drinks tasting meal so much and i think it had a lot to do with the sum of all the people in there you know it's a little bit of a reciprocal sum yeah yeah in the sense that all of us played our little parts in it uh uh, and you know the combination of all the chefs that came in and cooked their 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 dishes yeah and and then you know the the drink side of things the selections that you made with the dishes, the selections that Katie made with the dishes, that, that the offering on paper sounded wonderful. Yeah. What really, really made it was the guests. Yeah. Because they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what we were going to do. Not, none of us knew what to we, expect. We didn't really. know what we were going to do. And, we just knew that and, it would be fun. We just, we just, we, we, we had ideas and we certainly put a bit of paper down saying this is what we're planning on doing. Yeah. But, you know, and it's the logistics that made it enjoyable. You know, the cards that you had for all the guests with the grape on one and then the grain on the other. So they could, they could select what they, and, and it's, and, you know, any big thing or anything like that needs the person that can speak lovely and control the whole thing and, and, and interact. And which is, I mean, you led, you led all the public speaking that night. And and it, it just infused everyone because you, you love what you do so much that the rest of us had no choice but to be sucked into it. And we just loved the company and being together and at the same time doing something where our guests and customers 
enjoyed it so much. You know, it, it was nearly, I mean, that, that little thing that we did in January, in terms of, you know, excluding the COVID thing and what's gone on with that, but in terms of where we find ourselves in Cornwall with the seasonality and the depths of winter and dreaming of the summer when we can have business and customers, yeah. you know, and it, it was sort of a tonic against the darkness of midwinter yeah. because it revived everyone. And it gave everybody sort of joy in their hearts again that, you know, there's a reason why we love what we do. And and, and it's because it's people, if we do it right, uh, the customers, our friends are happy. And I think there's nothing more important in life than to try and try. And, and you know, happy people is what we want, eh? especially yes. in these tricky times. Yeah, man. And just for the for the listeners to bring you up to speed. Um, we did a first beer versus wine night. So each each of the courses were paired with a beer and a wine. And then people voted, the customers voted after every course um, to sort of gamify a, a, a sort of a tasting evening. But I think the thing that tipped it, it was all it was all cooks from from the cookbook. And in the kitchen, you had a absolute wealth of experience. Like it was it was next level, you know, with Henk Henk running running point um and zach hawk the legend that is zach hawk that's done an episode but we had alan bird in there stefan was in there kenny simons was in there like that that's a hell of a lineup of chefs isn't it It, it's it's fair dues poor old zach might have felt very young in there given the given the skills that he's got i mean effectively the rest of us are all a bunch of dinosaurs (laughs) but it was it was so much fun wasn't it it was so much fun yeah uh, and and you know it's one it's it's a little model i think oh, yeah. that will really that will really work in terms of because it what it does what that great versus great dinner did Ed, it it showed to our guests that you know we all invited uh, how important a role beer is going to play in gastronomy yes you know and it, and it has for, for many many people but to put beer next to wines you know having doing a beer and food dinner it, it, it works. We know it works. Mm. But putting beer up against wine in terms of enjoying supper uh, uh, was, was it, it was a revelation, wasn't it? Yeah, I've talked about it for years. Um, uh, and it, it, like it doesn't have to be a competition, even though that beer is better than wine on the record. But I'm slightly biased. It was more of that point of it gives people the option that would not for people that wouldn't be brave enough to order a beer if you give it to them, yeah. they'll try it. And they go, that was yeah. brilliant. And because it was fun as yeah. well. And I think sort of just to sort of come back to the original question, that's what the magic of Trevisca's was for me. Because it is, it, it's a venue for so many different occasions. <laughs> it certainly is. And, and, and you know, it, it, we've got the space. We've got the outside space. We haven't really utilised the outside space properly because it's been winter and, and the weather's been bad. And certainly there's, you know, we're planning a little outside party when we ever get permission to do so, which we hopefully won't be too long. Excellent. Uh, uh, um, but, you know, the, there's so many elements to what we can do because it's effectively, a, uh, you know, in the, it's a breakfast joint in the mornings, a little bit of lunchtime with coffee and teas and bits of cake. And then in the evenings, it transforms into anything we want it to be. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of led by the food. And that dinner was certainly led by the offering, i.e. the quality of the chefs that came in, the quality of the food and drink, you know, the, the quality of of the information that 
the experts, the drink experts, was sort of putting across, you know, and 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 it was informative for all of us, you know. Really, it was it was a cracking good one. It was yeah, a good one that. And it? and we did a bit for hospitality action as well. We did we did some sort of some fundraising for hospitality action, and they are massively important at the moment. So it's just that it's a culmination of what the cookbook, um, what the cookbook is, and our mates. You know, and this is, it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be, you know, the proper highbrow. This was, it was a lot of fun. And I think that's what made it one of the best. Well, what it, what it did, it, 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 it brought the printed cookbook into reality. Yeah, man. You know, and what it did, because, you know, the love that went into that cookbook from you guys, you know, getting everybody together, the different chefs, we're all chatting amongst each other. What a privilege and honor it was to be part of the project. Uh, uh, to then execute that rather than, to execute it as a group mm. for a group of guests uh, uh, in terms of the beer and the food element of it, that it was just, it was just, it, it brought, you know, I don't know if many books, you've got to be, if many cookbooks actually come to life. Yeah. Well, that cookbook was alive that night, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, and it certainly is sort of a little plan for what we should be doing with these sort of things, you know, just to show people the joy, the joy that really is, uh, with the beers and the wines and the food. I mean, it's gastronomy, isn't it? What's we, it, it? It's what we love. It's what we love. Just, you know, they had so much fun. I think yes. everybody had so much fun. Yeah. And if I, if I can, again, back to the record, because I talk about the chefs um, and all the people around that are in the cookbook, but for that evening and us sort of going in with a, with a, a plan, but not like a, a serious plan of exactly how it would work. Cause we didn't know how it was going to work. Massive shout out to, um, uh, Sam from the brewery, Mr. Line, uh, who ran service wicked, carrying plates. He ran service like a good one. He was, he was very was, well trained was, back in the day. Well, you know, but he, he hasn't forgotten any of the skills, isn't he? No, it's because it, it's, I mean, Sam learned his class and all the boys were class, you know, and, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and it, yeah, it was a good one. I had, it really, really was. And sort of, it gave us light in the middle of January. You know, yeah. we need to do something like this to give us all a bit of light with, considering the obstacles that the hospitality industry is finding at the minute well the whole world economically is finding yeah. you know it's it's sort of uh, you know we don't know how long this will take us but it's about staying positive and finding ways through it isn't it yeah very much so we've digressed as we always do i'll get back on track with the questions hank apologies for that um uh, it is what it is ed you're you touched on it in your 60 second story where did your love of food start mate Oh, you know, it, it, it's 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 realizing. I mean, I think food comes out of a family environment, doesn't it? Yeah. And I I, I sort of grew up with this family environment where uh, where I mean, sadly, back in those days, there wasn't any ready meals. There wasn't really many takeout restaurants. There wasn't many really many things. Certainly in South Africa, there were there were some beautiful restaurants, but but it you know eating out wasn't such a factor at what a factor like it is now in our society and and you know subsequently my dad did the barbecuing of the meat and my mother did the the, the rest of the cooking you know indoors and 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 as i said earlier i realized later on the actual skills that she had yeah. uh, and only when i started learning about the techniques of cooking and the things you know the magic the magic of eggs and the magic of uh, uh, baking and the magic you know it's magic uh, uh, then I realized what my mom did, you know, she did this, this particular dish that, and it's, it's, it's loved by the family. It's loved by anybody that does it. And I've sort of got the recipe 
stacked in, in the repertoire some ways. My mom did a very simple potato salad, but she made this 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 sabayon with 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 it, you know, bit of egg yolks, bit of vinegar, uh, whisked up, uh, and poured this over the warm potatoes, which she then set in the fridge to chill. And it is just the most delicious thing on a nice hot summer's day. It's the most delicious thing to have with a bit of barbecued steak, yeah. which we had a lot of when I was a kid, you know, and obviously that's where it all comes from. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it starts with the family. And I think after doing several of these episodes, a huge amount of this just starts with watching people in the kitchen, mums, dads, like the kitchen's a magical place. You know, I, I, I love it. Um, sort of jumping from timeline to timeline. Can you remember when we first met Hank? I think I can. I, Ed, I, I, I know exactly, exactly, exactly where we first met. Well, where, where, it, where the, the, the clarity. Yeah. I know we'd kind of met, we'd kind of met socially, maybe in the pub, you might have come in there. Uh, but, but the defining moment, the defining moment where our friendship started yeah. was, I can't remember which Christmas festival it was, it must be four, five, six, seven years ago now. Yeah where myself uh sorry it's a bit of myself phil vickery yeah alan bird yeah uh italian friend of mine from sardinia yeah and i think james nathan was in there as well yes he was we came into your secret bar yeah man and and we have not we still to this day when when we get together that 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 moment in there was defining for all of us it was defining in the sense that we were put into this little dark box in space you you presented your tastings and your and your and you know the food pairings and the beer and and the way you brought it across to us me and alan were talking about it two days ago <laughs> you know it was and i've got a photograph somewhere of us with this box you know Wicked. and it was just magic i'm hoping you think that's where you really first met yes the first time it's the first time that we could sit back and just listen to you do your thing. And you know what was, you know, and I can tell you exactly what we had, but that's by the by. What, what, what came from that was love, you know, and I call it brotherly love and we have this conversation a lot. Yeah, but you, the love that you had for what, you know, the bits of food and the beer that you had in your hands and the way that you presented it to us. You know, bearing in mind, it, it might have been daunting to present to some of these sort of, you know, fairly salubrious chefs. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, <clears throat> and and you just you just all of us, all of us came out of that experience going, wow, that was unbelievable. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I remember it because it was a very wet Christmas festival as well. Um, yeah. I remember it very vividly. And it was it's lovely. And it was it was a genuine beginning. And what I'm finding from doing these episodes and, and, you know, these questions. And thank you very much for the compliments, Hank. Um, that That's where a huge amount of the cookbook um, and this podcast started was in the secret bar and what, you know, what yeah. Nick and Bryony and Rachel and the events team created. It has evolved and we've stayed in contact since. And, you know, Alan's, Alan's episode will be coming up as well. That was that moment. Uh, it was, you know, talk about beer and food. And it's, it, it, you know, Obviously, it'll be back on the road at some point. Um, if you do see it anywhere, it's it's worth a trip. And I'm obviously biased. Um, cool. That's that's very much where, where it all started. Um, as we're on the starter course, mate, um, I would like you to explain 
uh, your favourite starter of all time. But on the other way round, I'm going to explain the beer that I've chosen to see whether you think this would work um, with your sardine dish. I've gone for, rather than a bottled beer, I've gone for a ca- yeah. cask ale. I've gone for Cornish Coaster. So it is the mother of Doombar, mainly being, from what I could see with the sardine dish, it what I really wanted was a, like a really velvety mouthfeel and the lo- low carbonation in a cask ale with a little bit of bitterness to cleanse the palate. I just feel like that all of those ingredients and that dressing that was on the dish just would work beautifully with like a fresh cask ale rather than a high carbonated um bottle beer and like you need that little bit of sweetness from coaster as well i i couldn't agree with you more ed you know obviously i've had lots of coasters because that's the first ale that i put on in the pub yes but uh, uh this 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 sardine dish so so john was a, 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 a chap who became a really good friend he had he had this good life idea he was french trained chef he's still in london doing his thing now and he had this little sort of he did dinners in a little in a little tea room above Morgan Porth. And he mm. called it John's Bistro. And and but what he cooked was fresh. So he had a little garden around the back. And and, and this was in August. And he had these sardines and he and he cured them and slightly pickled them. And he and he had a load a big tomato crop in the back. And and he he made this this, it's an uncooked, I mean, consomme isn't the right word, really, but it was more like a tomato essence mm-hmm. that, and, and it was, it was the acidity with the tomato and then the sweetness of the basil. And then, you know, it, it was just, these things just came together and, and it, 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 it was, I, I, I cannot describe how unbelievably wonderful it was, uh, uh, that starter and to have it with a, with a, with a, with a little bit of coaster like you describe just to smooth the, the acidity that's in this dish yeah. smooth it off with sort of the creaminess of the coaster wonderful combo wonderful combo and i you know i'm going to get him down one day to try and recreate that definitely. It was off the clock. definitely i'll i'll look forward to that do invite me as well as i, I will, do. will generally invite myself to anything it seems here comes the fish course we've matched this course with atlantic pale ale a classic British beer style with a hop forward nod to the new worlds beyond our shores. A golden beer with wonderful tropical fruit aromas and assertive yet restrained bitterness, this beer is often a great match for fuller flavoured fish dishes. Our pale ale is named after the Atlantic Ocean that lies just over a mile north of our brewery. The Atlantic surrounds our beloved county and beyond beer and food, it's Cornwall that really connects us to our Just Add Beer chefs and friends. So, this fish course is all about Cornwall and our Cornish connections. Cheers, you. Um, cool. Fish course, Hank. That was the starters done. Thank you for that, mate. Um, fish course is all about Cornwall. So, do you want to talk about what really brought you to Cornwall? Why, why our wonderful county? It was a it was a complete accident, Ed. It was a complete and utter accident, and it happened so early in my trip to the UK. So I came on this trip uh, to the UK, a few uh, uh, you know set of golf clubs in in the back of the plane, arrived here, and I had a friend in Hammersmith. Sort of arrived the morning, sort of you know we'd arranged it beforehand. So I was waiting for him to finish work. Uh, This was a Friday afternoon. I'm sure it was a Friday afternoon, maybe a Thursday afternoon. Sort of made his place, made made 
my way to his sort of front door in Hammersmith. He lived in one of his apartments there, right by the bridge. And with that, his brother, uh, so I sat outside waiting for him to finish work. You know, it was a lovely sunny day. With that, his brother Bruce turned up hmm. and he introduced himself. We met each other and uh, we went to the pub. And Bruce, at the time, was working in an adventure, school adventure holiday uh, uh, um, thing in St. Izzy. It was called the Manor House. I think it still exists today. Right. Uh, anyway, the decision was made right there that I'm coming down to Cornwall with him. And it's exactly what I did. And I've never left. I've never <laughs> left since. That's brilliant. A decision made in the pub. That, that, yeah, one well, of the kind best of decisions. It- it, it, it's just fluid, you know. It, it, I'm, I'm always the one that just goes with the flow and try and, you know, you try and steer things, but you can't determine where life's going to take you. And that off chance meeting with a man in the front door or in the back door of, of, of an apartment block in Hammersmith yeah. brought me to Cornwall within three or four days. It's amazing, isn't it? And and what what can you sort of summarize what you love? Why, why haven't you left Cornwall? Well, um, you know, life, Ed, the way we live our lives, or the way I live my life, I think is sort of playing tennis. So you, you find yourself you find yourself in Cornwall, and then, you know, being in the Australian industry, you, you sort of get a little job somewhere, and suddenly the job, as you're getting older, the jobs and the projects, projects have become longer in term. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just, you know, with what's going on and over the years, I mean, I remember back in the in the late 90s when i was first around friends sort of bring me bring me menus from the seafood restaurant at the time yeah and 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 you know looking at these things in the 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 menu the quality the level of the menu that they were delivering in 1998 1999 and looking at these things and going oh my god that's just amazing Mm -hmm. what comes out of the sea and what they're doing you know and we know the size of seafood and i mean steph was around in 1999 i think yeah but you know and and geezer paul ripley all these boys were in that brigade and and that seeing those sort of things whilst we were in the pubs cooking steaks and chips and bits and bobs like that it it just you know there was there's a little place for everyone in the industry down here yeah and and it's never sort of you know it's it's never escaped me that there there's some real a-teamers down here we're so lucky to have the a-teamers in our, in our area you know yeah. and they inspire us and the quality and the level of what they do is just unbelievable but there's also a place for 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 you know smaller guys like us who truly do it for the love. Yeah. You know, we obviously want to pay the bills, but we do it. We, and, you know, we do hospitality because we love it. We love people. And, you know, Cornwall is such an amazing place. It's such an amazing place. Yeah, that sense of community is is absolute magic and un, unprompted in every episode. Because I reckon when I've done all, when we've done all the, the chefs from the cookbook, I, I think we'll have to do a, a full episode on the seafood restaurant. Because oh, for sure. It comes up. Benchmark. Oh, it is. It really is. It was the catalyst for our industry in this area. We have so much to thank Rick and Jill and that sort of grateful institution. Grateful. Um, that Ed, is a seafood restaurant. Ed, none of us, none of us, and this is all the boys. Yeah. From Nathan to Paul to yeah. Giza, yeah. all the boys that have done it, you know, at the top level and had stars and all these things. None of us would have ever, ever, ever done it in Cornwall or been cooks in Cornwall had it not been for Rick and Jill and what they did in the 70s. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? How yeah. it, would, it would be lovely to, but we'll sort of save that for another episode because like to, yeah. to start off with how how they came 
to to Cornwall in the first place and what made them settle in Padstow, that if that was another twist of fate, like yours was a twist of fate of meeting your mate in Hammersmith, to yeah. to come down to Cornwall, this is like it's it's a little bit like chaos chaos theory. I don't want to get too deep here, but that one like Paul Ainsworth story was fascinating as well. One motorbike ride down to go to the seafood restaurant. That's what it was yeah. that brought him down here. So yeah, we got a lot to thank. Um, we digress again, and I know you're on a tight time schedule, Hank. Um, best fish dish off the top of your head that you've ever had that's not the, right. the sardine dish for your favourite starter? Uh, uh, this this one's going to be quite contentious, and I'm really sorry, and I, and I don't think <laughs> they do it anymore. Okay, yeah. because it, it, and it involves my friends, yeah. uh, uh, and a, in particular a very French chef who's been down here since 1999, who yeah. we all love and admire because his skill level is out of this world. Yeah, man. Uh, but one night in the seafood, we went in there, and in those days, they had a dish on the menu, and, and it's not fish, it's seafood, okay? Sorry, Ed, so I've, I've sort of gone off again. That's cool. But he, You apologise more did. than me, Hank. Stop apologising. Well, it is what it is <laughs> because we're sort of trying to stick to the brief, eh? Yeah. But Steph did, or Rick did, uh, Steph was still in the kitchen, uh, and he had on his menu a like a little bit of tomato, mm. lobster, and foie gras salad. Nice. And this this thing was, I mean, it was a very close contender to my best ever starter. Having said that, my best ever starter was the fact that it was obviously it tasted beautiful, mm. but it was not in salubrious surroundings. You know, you walked into this place with these little plastic chairs, and you get a dish shoved in front of you that to my mind, to my mind, and I'm not an experienced guy with the Michelin boys, but to my mind, as a dish, would never be a miss out of any one-star restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And we had it on plastic tables in a plastic chair. Lobster and foie gras salad in the seafood restaurant with tablecloths yeah. and all the all the, the proper bells and whistles that it needs to be, to, to you know, that the seafood restaurant absolutely sort of symbolizes down here. Yeah. Fabulous thing, you know. Definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, am I allowed to have a starter as my fish course? Because I'd love to have that again. Of course you can. Yeah, that's that's wicked, mate. We just make it slightly larger. And it's a fish course. Yeah. It could be any size you like. So with your off-the-cuff favourite um, fish course, I've got to do an off-the-cuff beer pairing. And so by yeah. me rambling on at the moment, I'm trying to rack my brains what a suitable beer pairing is. Think about because you've got quite rich flavours in there. Um, but well, I'll tell you the beer buttery- pairing buttery lobster you yeah, tell me you yours and i'll tell you mine afterwards no no you go first you the expert okie doke um thank you very much for calling me an expert Hank. um that's twice well, it's, i'm, it's, I'm it banking them, mate. i'm banking them dude right i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for a belgian beer i think yeah and i'm gonna go for something with quite a high abv so i'm gonna go for one of my favorites which is vesmala triple so vesmala yes. is one of the trappist um trappist beers and the triple has incredible aromas so like you have bubble gum uh isomil acetate which is like banana um but you've got a lot of bitterness there as well to cut through and i think that sort of the sweetness um and you get sort of coriander and and like loads of lovely spices in there as well i think the sweetness sort of match richness with richness rather than just cleansing the palate with that one so quite it makes complete sense Nice. I'm a I'm a much more local boy in that regards, Ed, because yes. I would serve the citrusy offshore with that. Nice, and it would work because 
uh, you know, out of my perspective, obviously I'm seeing a lot of offshore at the moment because I'm using it for beer batter. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and occasionally I sort of taste if it's still okay. And it certainly is. <laughs> uh, um, because it's such a rich dish. Yeah. To have that, you know, I know the offshore's got a slight, so it's, 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 you know, the ABV is relatively high on it, but it's got that little citrus, citrusy aftertaste. Yeah. And I love that. I love that, you know. Awesome. Uh, that would be a wicked pairing as well. You're, you're also an expert, Hank. Um, next question, mate. Favorite restaurant in Cornwall? It's a big question. That's a hard one to answer, I can imagine. Yeah. That, that is. I can I can I can tell you my most favourite meal ever in Cornwall. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that obviously relates back to a restaurant. Yeah. But my most favourite favourite meal. I was privileged enough to be invited by a friend who was sort of a corporate a corporate gentleman uh, who was living down here, and he had and and he he asked his very good friend at the time, Paul Ainsworth. Hmm. Uh, and they still are friendly, but sadly, so sadly, the gentleman in question is not with us anymore. Yeah. But he asked Paul to do a ten-course tasting menu at his house. Yeah. And and it was it in terms of what we ate and the and the thought process that got into it. So so my favourite restaurant in Cornwall, as much as I love the seafood, in terms of food and and the and the the next level food uh has to be paul ainsworth yeah yeah it's outstanding um yeah i yeah i tend to uh, tend to agree because it is a really hard question to answer so yeah to put it actually into into that situation for that meal with those people that's what makes it the best meal so you'd slightly change the rules and i'm absolutely happy with that hank you can do whatever uh, like. uh, sorry ed don't sorry, apologize ed. it's so cool man but it's, it's by default the best restaurant or the most enjoyable restaurant is there for number six yes yeah 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 by proxy and now the main course this calls for a glass of wolf rock red ipa named after the reef and lighthouse eight nautical miles off land's end this beer is a bit of a fusion between a red ale and a New World IPA, which allows it to have darker fruit and malt sweetness, combined with significant hot bitterness, with neither overpowering the other. The result is a full-flavoured beer that's complex enough to stand up to matching big, bold main courses. It's our most versatile food-matching beer, or, to quote our regular house chef Zach Hawke, if in doubt, try matching it with Wolfrock. As we up the intensity of the beer flavours, the questions in this course match it perfectly. We'll be asking them to talk us through their favourite recipe from the cookbook, challenge them to share a store cupboard recipe, name their ultimate beer match and declare their food hero. Let's tuck in. Cool. On to the big questions, mate. Them On to the main course. Um, store cupboard recipe. Hank, I've seen you whip up some wicked chicken wings just putting a couple of ingredients in could you give the listeners a a a good store cupboard recipe something easy for anyone to do with stuff that people have got in the cupboards absolutely noodles yeah you know so i've always got dry noodles kicking around i've always got a bit of fish sauce kicking around always got a bit of ketchup money you know sweet soy a yeah. few chilies a few garlic now those noodles put together with those ingredients and anything that you've got kicking around, it can be a bit of chicken, it can be a bit of steak trim. I do noodles for staff tea yeah. with our steak trim, you know, 
and as a matter of fact, it's sort of evolved into little a little oriental dish on the menu now because you know it's it's tasty, it's full of flavour. But my store cupboard is always noodles. Awesome. So, how would you do? You want to go through a little bit of the process? How would how would you cook them? How would you prep this sort of this rough noodle dish? If you had those ingredients in front of you, do you want to chat through the method? Well, so so the method is quite simple. Ed, I get a bit of garlic. You know, so it's store cupboard. So this is really basic, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to go with lemongrass or any fancy ingredients like that. Yeah. It's basically what's lying in the cupboard. So there's always garlic in the bottom of the fridge. Yeah. There's always going to be, you know, a bit of meat. So strips of steak. Yeah. Chuck the strips of steak in a pan. Obviously, you know, if it's not fresh noodles, we'll boil, we'll blanch, uh, you know, we'll blanch the noodles to get them soft. Uh, uh, um, you know, drain them off in the sink. In the pan then, See, bit of sort of sesame oil sear the steak sear the garlic if i've got if i've got a bit of spring onion chuck that in there then uh, uh, ketchup manis soy sauce bit of uh, uh, um, sesame oil a uh, bit of fish sauce toss it all together chuck the noodles in with it job done jobs are good and sounds wicked yep that's my sort of dish i might do that for dinner this evening <laughs> um, next a little bit of cooking secret so th- as this this is the just add beer podcast you kindly donated several recipes for the cookbook um and you've chosen to chat about the bread so yes this i've had this bread so many times i can vividly remember first having it in halfway house with the pork griette and your little yeah. plum sort of compote ketchup oh man yeah. that 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 is a, a thing of beauty do you want to chat through that dish and any hints and tips for the listeners? Well, you know, it's 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 bread bread. I mean, thanks to this COVID situation that we find ourselves, everybody's having a go at making bread, yeah. which is wonderful. I love bread. I love making bread because it's magic. Yeah. You know, it's magic. You take some ingredients, you take a bit of yeast. I mean, I prefer fresh yeast because we've got access to it. You take dry yeast, you know, you take beer which at some stage in its process of manufacture has been alive yeah you take all these things that have sort of their development or their progress has been put to to a halt by by becoming ingredients so you've got your yeast that's you know fresh yeast in it wrapped up mm-hmm. you've got your flour which was which was alive it was wheat at some stage in its process yeah. uh, uh uh your beer uh bit of garlic, bit of rosemary, chuck all these things together, a little bit of olive oil just to add some sort of help with the elasticity of the protein, rise it out twice, bake it off, lots of salt, and it's magic. And it's yeah. something that's, you know, it's all these ingredients that we're alive at some stage that's been put to a halt. You put them together and it creates something that, that's alive, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that's that's the joy of, of bread. Yeah, yeah, all, all very much interlinked um and you know it yeah it's it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely bread and i'm terrible at baking and i can make this recipe so we're going to provide all the recipes that you talk about so when it comes to the cookbook they'll be on the page so people can click on so there's some handy tips it, what about like shy bakers is anything any hints and tips for baking full stop you could give people like any one-liners or or, or that you can think of a bit of advice well, it's it's sort of it's not to be scared. I mean, baking is a science, isn't it? So it's it's about the main important thing is to follow the recipe as closely as you can. Certainly for the first time around, you've got a bit more leeway with bread because it does its own. But when you bake, 
when you bake a uh, a uh, you know when you bake a tart or a recipe uh, it's important to follow it because it's much more there's no there's not as much scope or variance as there is when i'm doing a steak for example yeah. you know the other little thing is the other thing that i've loved i don't know where i saw it i saw it somewhere and it just sort of stuck with me you know uh, the common thing with scones and i'm not going to go into discussion about what should be first yeah, good but well played mate Polit- when, politics when, that is <laughs> yeah uh, 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 it's not it's not mine to have an opinion <laughs> on uh but when you when you when you make scones you know plain scones for this matter mm. you know i love being able to twist scones open yeah rather than cutting them open it's just it's 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 it just feels better so what what i do is i basically roll the, the scone out uh to to half the thickness that it would normally be mm. and and I, I cut them into rounds and then I put the two discs on top of each other. Like you, you know, imagine you're doing a Victoria sandwich, Yeah, yeah. then bake them, then bake them. Yeah. And when that bake is done, you can, with your fingers, twist the scone apart. Oh, that is a good tip. That's an absolute cracker. Hank. Oh, it works. It's a much, it's absolutely, it's just so wonderful when you do it, you know? That's brilliant. And I, funny enough, I, there's me going, yeah, can you uh, can you tell the listeners some hints and tips for any nervous bakers? Because I'm a really nervous baker because I'm really rubbish at following instructions. So that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, basically, I'm just going to bank those. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Um, oh, you're very welcome. Next question for the mains. Your ultimate beer match, Hank. That's a, that's Wolf a big Rock. one. Wolf Rock. Yes. Easy. Wolf Rock. You know, uh, 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 Wolf Rock's the one, eh? Yeah. Yep, and I funny enough, I linking into to recipes, Wolf Rock with that bread, that pork riette, and that plum, that is just ah, beautiful. You know, and and because of the sweetness in Wolf Rock, I like sugar. South African palate, we use a lot of fruit in our savoury dishes. Yeah. Okay, so South Africans love sweetness with it. So if I haven't got sweetness in the food, mm-hmm. I want that caramelization and sweetness in what I'm drinking. Yeah. So Wolfrock is the one for, for all these things because it ticks so many boxes, you know. It's slightly sweet. It's slightly bitter. Yeah. It's caramelized. It's the right color. Everything about it is just, you know, for for it's it's mean. It goes with any meat thing, you know. Slow slow cooked beef. Yeah. Slow cooked in Wolfrock. Then having a drink with that as well. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It is, you know, and to coin Zach's phrase and, you know, back in the early days, right at the beginning of the Mariners, like if we ever struggled with a beer pairing, Zach would say, if in doubt, Wolfrock. It's like the album, yeah. you know, of, of the beer world. It's so versatile. It is. Um, it is. Yeah. Great, great beer. Great choice. Um, next big question, mate. Your food hero. Who is your food hero? Uh, without a doubt, Rick Stein. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure a lot of the chefs are going to say that uh, uh, it's because, you know, what what Rick's done for Cornwall and the way that he's gone and searched, you know, he's searched for flavors and he's searched for food. But it's not only that, it's the way he presents and the way he speaks and the way it comes across and the calmness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's head and shoulders, head and shoulders, yeah. you know, uh, um, he's head and shoulders, the man for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, they, you didn't mince any words there, dude. Yeah, it, it, like Rick, like I said, and I said previously, that there's there's something that that Rick and Jill have created that that actually, it, I hadn't, I'd, I've always talked about it, but I've never really, really thought about it until I've spent loads of time on, you know, chatting to you guys. 
um, about their history or what brought them to Cornwall. And yeah, the seafood restaurant is something yeah pretty magic. I hope you've left room for dessert. We've brought you a sherry glass of coconut stout from our adventure series for your final beer. This is a beer created with food matching in mind. It was originally brewed for the secret bar experience on our tasting stand at Padstow Christmas Festival. Like our connoisseurs' choice beers such as Quadruple Ale and Six Vintage Blend that preceded it, Coconut Stout has converted a good few non-beer drinkers when matched with desserts. It always surprises people how well beer matches with dessert, and how much the match transforms both the beer and the dish. So there's a question about the guest's most surprising service in this final course of chat. And as desserts can be a little bit indulgent and perhaps naughty, we'll be finding out what really grinds their gears in the kitchen and beyond to perfectly match the hint of bitterness in this beer. Plus, they'll tip us by spoon-feeding Ed a loaded question for the next guest. Spoons at the ready? Let's dive in. Cool. Nearly done, mate. We're on desserts. And so the slightly indulgent questions... Um, do you have a particular service that was either weird or chaotic or you were most nervous for? Oh, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one because I think most services, when we're doing the big tasting menus with the guest chefs and that sort of stuff, yeah. most services are quite frantic. Yeah. You know? yeah. I could certainly tell you the most chaotic one we've ever had and Alan Byrne will love me for this. Yes, do. So one of the first Christmas Christmas festival tasting menus we did at the cafe here at Travisca's. Yeah. Uh, uh, so 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 Alan Alan does this amazing thing with with a lobster thermidor. Yeah. Where he makes the thermidor sauce, but he also makes a hollandaise sauce on the side. And before we serve it, he folds it through. Mm. Okay. And on this particular this particular dinner that we so, so bearing in mind for Christmas festival we'll do like six seven course tasting menus. Yeah. Uh, and for for this we did like a little Alan's on the Alan's menu was this little lobster thermidor tart and he folds a bit of spinach through it and puts it in a little tart case, you know, and bakes it off. And the theory is you bake it off sort of thirty minutes before service and just give it a quick flash before you send it out. Yeah. But on this particular night we were assembling the tarts during service. Oh. You know, and in sort of sixty covers. Uh, it, it it was madness, uh, very enjoyable once we got to the end of it, and everybody enjoyed it, you know. That was definitely the most craziest one I've ever had. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, mate, because I can actually, back to that thing of being in a restaurant, especially front of house, like, I've, I've been lucky to sort of run plates with you, um, right when we did back, beer and food with Steve uh, at Halfway, yeah. and, then, and then our, our beer versus wine dinner, and you understand, I love that buzz of, of what can be a chaotic service, especially when we're sort of making it up as we go along. Because I actually sat down and ate that dinner. We had a big table yeah. with press. <laughs> of course you did. For that tart. And, you know, the chaos, the chaos that the, hopefully, hopefully, it might have been to your eye, but hopefully, you know, the guests wouldn't have known the amount of chaos that went into getting it, getting it in front of them, you know? Didn't notice it at all. And I would say on the record, if I did, I I would I would have had a chat with you afterwards, going, "Well, that must have been tough, dude." Well, no, did not yeah. notice, and I I didn't notice anything um, 
when it comes to that that service. So I was a, a proper a proper diner that evening. There wasn't I I because I, I have to stop myself from sort of helping out when going to these things. Um, and so I yeah, had, to yeah, sit, yeah. had to sit down and host a, host a table. So yeah, not you were like swans, Hank, that evening. <laughs> I think Mr. Bird won't agree with me. You got some really nasty <laughs> stares and grey hairs afterwards. You know? <laughs> I'll I'll ask him when I speak to him. You uh, certainly can. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might have been oblivious to it, you know. Yeah. But, no, he wasn't. He certainly wasn't. We were we were sweating to get it out. You know, we were sweating to get it out. Cool. Um, next question. Like, I I have some irrational things that I really can't stand in in restaurants or in kitchens. Like, like what sort of grinds my gears? Are people not crushing milk bottles or fingers in glasses when clearing tables? Like things like that. Have you got any yeah. absolute bugbears in in the kitchen or in restaurants, Hank? Oh, absolutely. If I'm busy on plussing or working and somebody picks my knife up. Yeah. You know, or yeah. it disappears or I can't find it or I used it and 10 minutes later I can't find it. Uh, uh, it's mostly my fault because I put things down without thinking when I'm putting them down. <laughs> but I go mad. I spend my life looking for knives. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I Like to the point of I was a little bit scared because you've thought of that very, very quickly. And I didn't prep you with this one either. If anyone picks my knife up. And there was a there was a nice pause after that. So I was like, just don't touch other people's tools. Um, actually, well, John, John Walton was saying you've got to look after your own tools. And yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't put my stuff. I don't use expensive knives uh, because I hammer them so hard. Yeah. But uh, I'll use sharp knives. Yes. You know, and, and that's the key. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that's straight to the point. Uh, do you have a guilty pleasure food, Hank? Something that you can go to sort of morning, noon and night? that you know you shouldn't shouldn't eat but you do uh ed it happens three times a day or it happens every single time when i cut steak yeah. i always always cut a little especially when i do ribeyes because ribeyes is slightly oblong it's got sort of a funny angle yeah and in order to cut the steak square you've got to cut this little it's about you know on your average two to three kilo ribeye it's about sort of half a centimeter uh, that you've got to cut on it's like a little wedge that you've got to cut up to square your steaks up yeah. now that little that little half a centimetre gets tasted every single time when I cut steak. Excellent. Quality control, Hank. I love that. Oh, exactly. Um, Favourite beer of all time, mate? Wolf Rock. Oh, didn't have to think about that one. I love that. Wolf Rock. Yeah. I, obviously, I completely agree with you, Hank. That's a fantastic choice. Um, and on to the DJ Thief. These are the last couple, mate. Um, if you were to hand on... This is sort of like a bit of a, a pay it forward stuff. If you hand on a bit of advice that you were given or a, some advice that you want to pass on to anyone, what would, would what would that advice be? It's a very, very easy one to answer because I live by it now. Yeah. Uh, so, again, a lot of my influences was has been my great friend, Alan Bird, yeah. given where he's cooked and what he's done and his absolute knowledge of it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and and... So, and I've had many, many hours of conversations with him about, you know, what makes a good restaurant and what doesn't make a good restaurant or a good meal. Yeah. And Alan taught me one thing once, and he said it to me. He says, Hank, it doesn't matter as long as the customer enjoyed themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And that, you know, we're in hospitality. Yeah. As long as the customer enjoyed themselves, you know, we might have a little hiccup with somebody putting their hand in a glass or something like that. But yeah. if they if they leave and they've enjoyed themselves, job done. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a very a very grounding piece of advice, and it's very very right. 
And that's what we thrive from. And like I said, you know, we've talked for hours about, you know, how hospitality is in our blood to see people enjoy themselves, to see them making their own memories and to have a part of that. That's 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 sort of why we do it. Good stuff. And it's not about us. It's not about our egos. It's I mean, everybody knows, you know, in the kitchens, we work long hours, we work hard hours. It's about the customers. Yeah, man. Yeah, very, very true. Right. I have a question from Stefan. Um, I, yep. said that, I said that you were next and Stefan has said, um, has asked you, as you are the king of all things steak, where, anywhere in the world, where is, in Henk's opinion, the best steak? That's a very easy one to answer. Yeah. Having said that, I've not eaten it, but I have researched it and looked for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it will be from, I'll tell you where it's, what animal it's from. Yeah. Okay. Because that will make the best steak. Maybe not in terms of tenderness, mm-hmm. but in terms of flavor and the best steak. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple. It'll be a small, it will be a small sort of, uh, small animal from, from Scotland that sort of spent three years growing up. So the longer the animal takes to grow up, mm-hmm. Or to, to uh, and you know, and it would have only eaten grass, mm. so it wouldn't have a very high fat content. But it will have when you eat this bit of meat, uh, you know, it will have a long lasting flavor, it'll be the best flavor there is. So, for me, the best steak will come from a small animal, so a banded Galway or something like that, mm. that's grown up or that been reared in Scotland on grass only, nothing, no additives, nothing added in, yeah. and that will be the best steak in the world, my friend. Cool. And and that's a cow, I gather. I was oh, yeah, beef, yeah, 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 good because I was going at a small animal that just eats grass. That, well, could, uh, sorry, be, that yeah, well, could be a listen, guinea pig. A, a, be, yeah. Well, no, it won't be cow. It won't be cow. It'll be a little steer. You yeah. know, that's what it'll be. Nice, nice. Um, and as as Steve Marsh is the next episode, have you got a question for Steve, or have you got something to pay it forward to Steve? Anything, because we know that he's super versatile as a cook. Uh, Stevie's Stevie's class, isn't it? Yeah. My question for him. My question for him, but it's it's a bit of a dig, but it's not meant to be a dig. I like this. Yeah, I like banter, (laughs) Hank. Okay, so it's not it's not meant to be nasty or anything. But my question for him is, can he tell us why he loves spring onions so much? Okay, I will. I've literally, I've got. He's the next episode. Uh, I'll I will ask that um, because I did not know that he had a penchant uh, for spring onions. Um, he loves it. He absolutely loves it. He loves it. And when you know, and 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 it'll be, you know, if you could read body language, you'd love this one. Yeah, I can hear you smiling. I love this. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to asking that question. That is us done. Thank you very much, Hank. I really appreciate your time, and it's lovely oh, to hear your stories, dude. Ah, um, uh, listen, it's and then you know, it's lovely to, to listen to yours as well. You know, which I've had the privilege of for sort of, for the last few years. And and it long way to continue it. And thank you for all the work you're doing, man. Absolute pleasure, dude. Thank you very much. And thank you to the listeners. Um, I'll catch up with you soon, Hank. Take care. Thanks, Ed. Speak to you later. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, boss. Bye. Bye.